0: Coming up in episode 75, you will see what happens when you talk to a good friend from college and why you are really here for some real estate talk. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast, the preferred podcast by many women across the globe to help you take control of your finances. Join me, Jen Hempel, a motivational money coach and your host each week as I share with you practical, simple money insights and real life stories by women like you. Let's do it. I am so excited to have you here. And we're episode 75, which means we are three quarters of a way to episode 100. And that to me, I just, I can't even fathom. So I have you to thank because you're listening. So, and because you're listening, I keep making more of these episodes. So I really, really appreciate you. Now in today's topic, I've had had various questions on real estate, So I thought for today's episode, I'd bring in a real estate expert to talk about this, some of the questions that have been asked in our community, which by the way, if you haven't joined, do so. There are some really incredible women in our community and it's easy to join us over on Facebook. It's free. It's for you. It's what you make of it and you can go ahead and join at jenhemphill.com forward slash community. So in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what coming from an immigrant family taught Carla about money. Okay. And why she felt she was blessed to be broke and poor. What she means by that. We'll talk about why she considers everything that she spends money on as an investment. We'll talk about what to look for when buying a home so you can really make it a good investment. And we're going to talk about investing in rental property and what to look for. And she's also going to share because... There is, I was curious and people were curious her thoughts on renting via those sites like Airbnb and or the VRBO. So she'll share her thoughts on that. So let me share with you a little bit about actually my friend, not just a guest, but a good college friend. Her name is Carlamina. She is an agent associated with the Coldwell Banker Residential Brokerage Hosted Office in Chicago, and she's a triple threat within the local real estate industry. A top producing real estate broker, mother of two, and producer and host of AM's 560 show called The Market Overdrive. In addition to her recognition as a successful agent, Carla Mina is highly active in local real estate organizations and has cemented herself as a go-to authority on local industry analysis. And you will see she is a true hustler. So let's go ahead and meet my friend, Carla Mina. Welcome, Carlamina, to the Her Money Matters Podcast. I am excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Jenny. This is awesome. Well, for those of you listening, you notice she called me Jenny, right? Oh. So she had she is <laughs> a good <laughs> No, no, you're good. So she's really a good friend of mine who I've met in college. And should we tell him how long ago that was? Oh gosh, no, don't do that. <laughs> well, we won't <laughs> tell you. Credibility. <laughs> So we became, um, we became, met in college, became friends. We actually became sorority sisters in a Latina based sorority. Now you know something else about me. And this was at Purdue University. And when I first met Carla, my impression literally was girl, that, that girl not only has her head on her shoulders, but her drive for success is unstoppable. And I could tell that right off, but just the way she carried herself. And years later, I have to say, I'm right. (laughs) She's been really uber successful, and I'm excited to share her with you. So first, what I wanted to do is I wanted for you to get to know her. So we're going to dive into her money story, explore that side of Carla, because That's actually, that's something that we didn't uh, talk about in college, right?
1: (laughs) No, no one ever talks about these things in college. (laughs) No,
0: no. And then after that, I wanted to get into some real estate questions as I know you listeners will definitely benefit from her expertise. So you ready to dive in? Let's do this. Awesome. So Carla, tell me a little bit about how you grew up around money. So tell me, share with us your money story.
1: So as an immigrant family, of course, you know, the lack of money is something that motivated us. And I've recently come across some videos about someone saying that, you know, it is a blessing to be immigrant and lack money because it kind of shapes who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Um, So I guess I have to say I was blessed to be broke and poor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, of course, the lack of money, I've always saw um, I saw my mother raise five kids alone as a single mother. And so making ends meet was one of her major, you know, struggles in life. And so I always looked at my life and always compared it to hers and always wanted to not be in that position. So my ambition and my drive was always to my focus was not to have issues with money, but not just for myself, but for my family. And I think that a lot of people always want to have, you know, their why my biggest why is really what drives me um, and what really dictates how I handle my money.
0: Wonderful. So in growing up, did your parents talk to
1: you about money? Did they have any money conversations with you? Not necessarily let's sit down and talk about money, but it was more of like my mom was a hairdresser. She's still a hairdresser today. And she worked at a beauty shop and eventually she owns a beauty shop. So I knew that the money that coming in was uh, was important to us because it was what she was using to not just feed us, clothe us, and house us, um, you know, eventually send us to college or at least help a little bit to, towards our college education. But it was something that she she always said, no matter what, I will always pay my bills. i make sure the first funds I use is to pay the rent, make sure I use money for food, and then the rest we can splurge. And, you know, if we were going to a McDonald's or something, it was like a big feast. So... We were definitely cognizant of how the money was being used. And there's always that always pay your bills first and then, you know, enjoy the money. Makes sense. And what would you say you do well with money? I'm very frugal with money and I still have that mentality now. Um, I believe I reached a level of success in my life where, you know, I don't have to worry about tomorrow, but I always am concerned as a, uh, obviously, you know, as a commission based business, I'm always looking for, you know, fourth quarter, which is, you know, fourth and first quarters are typically in in Chicago are kind of the quiet season. So I always make sure that there's money set aside for those seasons because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm also a mom, a mom. So I call myself a mompreneur. So (laughs) I'm always very frugal with respect to how I invest my money and everything that you spend your money. in. I call it an investment, whether it's for life and leisure or for future. I'm always very cognizant of where the money is going, but I do make sure that I allocate money for discretionary options so that, you know, my kids and I can enjoy a life and we're not just worried about money and focus on working. I love that. That's beautiful. And what would you say is
0: the best money you've spent?
1: The best money I spent was on a flip. <laughs> um, I was I've been working real estate for about twelve years now, and I've, I've I went to the ups and downs of the market, and I realized that you know, I became a short sale expert here and started to um, negotiate short sales on behalf of some of our clients that faced financial hardship. I learned that business and I actually became preferred short sale expert with Chase. And so what that meant is that anybody who defaulted on their mortgage would get a a letter stating that, you know, I could help them uh, with an exit plan and negotiate their short sale on behalf of Chase. So, I came across some very good projects or properties that, you know, we could buy in a distress purchase amount or, you know, lower cost. And so I, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making so much money for my investors who are buying these properties for like, you know, 20 cents on the dollar. They're fixing them and then they're putting them back on the market. So eventually when the market shifted and there were homes being sold after being repaired because buyers were looking at distress sales and they're like, ah, I don't want to buy that anymore. I want something that's turnkey or something that we could just move into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Banks start institutions started lending on these projects, I saw that growth, and then I said, "Wow, you know there's so much opportunity. So I bought a two bedroom single family house for fifty thousand dollars. We dumped about forty thousand dollars and rehabbed and I sold it for one sixty five hundred Wow so that was the best investment i've done recently. very proud of that project. <laughs>
0: that is awesome, and what would you say has been your worst purchase? We tend to make bad decisions sometimes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we do. Um, It's crazy because I don't have a lot of bad purchases. I mean, I do spend a lot of money on food. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a mompreneur. So like cooking is not my forte. And of course, you know, you're always on a run and you're like, am I going to go run home and cook, which is something I I, I should definitely look into and, and do more often. But, you know, my accountant will tell you, wow, you know, you should open up a restaurant because you spend so much money on eating out. So I think overall, over a year's summary, I think that's the worst investment ever. Oh my! Well, sometimes, but you're busy. So with real estate,
0: and as you know, I I did at one time too. Your schedule sometimes is not your own. You can, yes, you can to an extent set your schedule, but you have to meet the demands of your clients. So if they want, they can only see a house at seven p.m. in the evening. You got to go with that, and sometimes that throws off the cooking schedule. So I
1: mean, I I can understand that. Right. So, I mean, if you imagine, I'm like the kids get out of school at three o'clock. I pick them up at three o'clock from school. And of course, right now we're in summer schedule. So there's more, more flexibility. We've been cooking more at home. But during, you know, school season, you pick them up at three, you're going to, you know, maybe baseball or hockey. Nicholas has baseball and hockey or Mia has tutoring on Wednesdays. And so in between that, I don't have a big Time frame between three and five o'clock for tutoring. I don't have time to come home, cook, and then take them back to their activities. And then while they're doing their tutoring or hockey lessons for an hour, I may, you know, sneak in a showing or sneak in an appointment and then come back. So it's like tuggling. So there's really no reason for me to go home and cook and sit up and dirty the kitchen when I could just, you know, we can eat and not have to worry about, you know, the mess. I understand that. And what would you
0: say is your favorite money guru celebrity?
1: I, I, I'm a reader, so I would say my best book is um, "Rich Dad Poor Dad." Okay, I love the concept of yes. passive investments versus you know uh, you know active investments, and I think I live my life by that. Yeah, that is a very popular book. I like that too. I think right now, as it's our millennials are growing up more conservative, and they're looking at money as to you know because we obviously experienced the crash, and everybody's looking into real estate in particular as an asset or something they can make use of, um, I love the concept of buying a two flat where you can live in one level and then rent the rest and have the mortgage pay itself so that it becomes an active investment rather than a passive investment of a single house where you're a single family house or a home where you could just you know you're the only person paying towards that mortgage and it becomes more of a luxury. And so even in my level of success, I feel that that you know two flat rentals and having something pay itself it's better than just dumping money into a property that may or may not eventually over time, build you equity. I don't want to rely on the equity anymore as much as I want it to already be making me money. I
0: understand that. So let's turn around. And even though we've already been talking real estate, because that's in your blood, (laughs) (laughs) for sure, because you've been talking real estate already. So I wanted to ask you some specific real estate questions, uh, some that I've been asked Uh, about before some that have come up with from some listeners. So what would you say are maybe the top three or if you have more than three things that you look for when choosing a great home for a client that is also a good investment? And should they need to sell? It's a good spot to be in.
1: The three things that I look at are appreciation in that market. You know, how is it appreciating versus year ago, and where it's going? Again, there's there's two types of purchases. One in which you're going to occupy as an owner and the other one that's solely an investment. So if you're going to occupy it as an owner and you're a family like myself, of course, location means a lot. And close proximity to the best schools in town. So I know a lot of families shop around that because schools do, in fact, matter. So when you can't get around that because you want to be in that perfect district for your child, there's, you know, you're just, you're going to have to sacrifice, you know, condition or size of a home in order to get into that location. And so location means more. Mm -hmm. And then eventually when you're in a good school district, you know, you're always going to yield higher yields when you resell it because it's always going to be a top school. Of course, you got to become involved, but you know, there's a lot of nuances with that. But Looking for something that's going to be easy to resell, obviously, you're going to look at size. You're not going to want to – you're going to look at the floor plan of a home as well. I mean, if there's a bathroom off the kitchen, you know that eventually the next buyer is going to be like, why is there a bathroom off the kitchen, (laughs) right? So – Or, you know, every time you go into a property, you got to see what is its sellability. And you're looking at it from an investment perspective. If I try to sell this again, how is it going to compete in the open market? And for example, like if someone's looking in the condo category, if you're buying a garden unit, a basement unit, you're going to buy it at a discount and you're going to sell it at a discount, right? Because most people don't like to be in the lower level. I mean, there's a few people who do. Um, So there's a lot of segmented markets or type of inventories that, that take a little longer to resell. So, you know, a loft, a loft property is about, you know, maybe 35% of the buyer market likes loft open floor plans. So it's an overall analysis. It's really hard to tell.
0: Got to understand that. And so let's say you buy a home, you just bought a home. How long would you say there's different, I've seen different things on this, but how long would you say you need to be in that home before you sell? Because I think the, in the past, typically people are in their homes five to seven years
1: before they move on. Yeah, I mean, there's statistics on on timing, but really, real estate is an appreciating asset. It's not going to appreciate today, but it always needs a little time to ferment, right? Um, so eventually, it's going to appreciate. I'm looking at markets in Chicago where there's 15% appreciation over a year ago. You know, there's top 10 uh, markets here in Chicago that are very hot. Logan Square, Humboldt Park, it's up and coming, Andersonville, Pilsen. So you have to kind of keep your ears on the – a pulse on the market and understand which markets are appreciating – but if you're already in a market that's appreciating, you're going to buy it at a premium as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, there's two markets here that are very head to head in appreciation versus year ago, like Logan Square and Humble Park. Logan Square is appreciating at fifteen percent, and Humble Park is appreciating at fifteen percent at as well. But the like the average price for a two flat in Humble Park is like two hundred forty two thousand, whereas Logan Square is five hundred thousand. So. You know, it's just a matter of like, where do you want to go? Do you want to go into the one that is just appreciating or the one that's already appreciated? So, it, you know, there really isn't a time of how long you hold it because something dramatically happened in the market. And then all of a sudden nothing is appreciating like what happened in 2008, 2010, right? Right. right. So there really isn't a crystal ball as to how long to hold the property. At the end of the day is how are you using the product? If you're buying it, can you hold it because you're going to be living in it? But if you have to live, will rental income subsidize the mortgage and you don't have to worry about liquidating that asset because you know that over time it's going to appreciate. So there's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration when making those decisions.
0: Right. So you're in a home and how do you determine if it's better to sell? Because this kind of goes with what you were just saying, Uh, if it's better to sell or rent it.
1: The way you determine that is you look at the rental market and in some areas there are rents are so high. Like right now, it's so much cheaper to own than to rent um, because rents on a national average are about 41%. So it's ridiculous. Um, Mortgages are still very, you know, the acquisition or the carrying costs for mortgages are still very affordable in some cases.
0: Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you
1: we're looking at 4, 4.75% or four and a quarter. So interest rates are still unbelievably low. So for some people, it makes sense for them to keep, like, for example, you have a family who's outgrown a condo and they want to move into the suburbs because now they want a house and they want to be in a better school district for their children. So they have a condo in the city and they want to keep it. But then they're like, I want to sell it. I want to get rid of it because I don't want to be a landlord. But then you're looking at the market and maybe there's a higher yield if you rent it out. Like if your mortgage is $1,800 and you're going to get $2,300 for the property, then it makes no sense to liquidate that asset unless, of course, you really, really don't want to be a landlord. But say, for example, you bought that property for, for $250 and the market says that it's only worth you know $225. So at that point, do you come to closing and pay the difference Or do you just hold on to the asset and hope that eventually there's appreciation so that you can liquidate that or get, you know, you can sell it later? Um, If it makes sense to start collecting rental income, then by God, just become a landlord and figure it out. If you don't want to deal with it, you know, pay a property manager to, you know, collect rents for you and manage those tenants so that it becomes an investment you don't even have to deal with. However, if the if carrying a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage doesn't allow you to buy the next home, then of course, that's your answer. You can't do both, right? Because you got to liquidate that debt in order for you to qualify for the next one. But if you're able to qualify for both and carry both the condo in the city, and then your new purchase in the suburbs, and you know, you're going to be making rental income, then Mm -hmm. why not? Right.
0: As far as what makes a good rental property, you touched up on some of those things. But what would you say? What would you tell someone that if they're considering? renting their property or maybe buying uh, a, pr- a property to rent. What would are some considerations that you would recommend?
1: Location and demographics and by, by that I mean like who who is your target audience and that comes with any sale right Who is mm-hmm. the target audience um, If you're looking at a neighborhood that caters to transient uh, demographic, then you want to be close proximity to a train station, L, um, a train station or bus or highway. Um, of course, if there's nightlife or restaurants, most people always want that. So you know that that's going to be great. But in some cases, and because the rental market is so hot, remember, we're just coming out of the recession and people are kind of people all of a sudden forgot about it because there's pricey uh, property prices going up and there's bidding wars. And they're like, what happened? But come on, there's still some people who lost their jobs and are still just trying to come back alive. And so they, they're cleaning their credit and they're just now are being able to buy. Cause once you're a homeowner, you're always going to want to be a homeowner. Again, you hate renting. Um, but there's still those people who can't afford to buy or cannot get, you know, a loan to buy. So the rental market is high. There's so much demand and let's not forget those kids who graduated college and are still not finding that great job or not making mm-hmm. a lot kind of money or don't have that long employment history where they can qualify for the mortgage. So of course. They're also driving the rental markets up. So in today's market, <laughs> I mean, I was, I'm looking at people renting attics, like a one-bedroom attic studio, and it's like ridiculous. I'm like, is that even legal? Can you do that? Um, so it's really hard because I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can rent anything out now. Um, but be specific, right? Always location is kind of key, close proximity to obviously a good school as well. If you're catering to a family, if you have three-bedroom plus, or loca- you know, close proximity to public transportation.
0: Makes sense. And, of course, you've heard of Airbnb, VRBO. What would you say about renting via those? What are your words of advice?
1: Oh, my gosh. I love it. Share economics, you know, the Mm -hmm. Ubers, the WE offices where you share everything. It's all about sharing and caring. I think we all become hippies as a society. (laughs) And as a capitalist, I love the trend. Um, of course, it's phenomenal. But you have to be careful that you understand the regulations because you could get fined. So if your building doesn't allow it, and of course now that's taxable income and everybody wants a piece of the pie, I say be careful. Learn your regulations because if you can do it, get away with it, do it. It's the best way to keep a property uh, – you know, vacancy rates low and I, I know a ton of people – I actually met this uh, this client who told me that he's actually rented properties from other landlords, so he's a tenant, mm-hmm. and he basically rents these properties so that he can rent them to Airbnb and make a profit.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. So really, the key here is knowing, like you said, the regulations, making sure you know that fine print um, yes. of where you're living, especially in the city. I'm sure it probably gets more complex um, yes. in the city.
1: Yes, and at the end of the day, it's aligning yourself with a real estate expert that understands these concepts. Because if you don't have the time to dive into it and going blindly, just call someone. You know, ask them like, what are the regulations with with renting to Airbnb? What are the regulations with being a landlord? Right. Um, you have to know the guidelines. You know, holding security deposit is very complex in some cities. Um, you know, in Chicago, for example, like if you break any type of landlord-tenant rules or tenant ordinance, uh, you can be responsible for a full month security deposit and then, of course, legal fees. So don't get yourself in trouble. Understand the guidelines so you can do it legally and then, of course, always lear- learn how to protect yourself.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Now, here's, I think, a big question um, that I've especially in being surrounded by entrepreneurs is... What are your best tips for buying a home for someone who's self-employed? So all their income is self-employment income. They run their own business. It's very difficult to be get pre-approved uh, for a loan because the lenders are, they basically do a lot of, um, how do you say? They are very, very stringent with those things. Yeah, so. I
1: find it that, you know, as an entrepreneurs and 1099 employees, we always have a um, hard time getting loans. But I work with, you know, through Market Overdrive, our radio program, we have um, my co-host Nick Mameti is the owner of iLoan. And actually, iLoan has a very good product for 1099 employees. Um, there's, you know, I don't know the specifics, ins and outs of the, this, the requirements, but I know that they have one of the best products in the market that are, allow us People who work with the restaurant business, um, we like to make fun of this product because cashing in on cash, you can get a loan. This is kind of silly, but um, you know it is that we're 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 1099 employees. We're not the W2s, and so there's a lot of risks associated with you know being a commission-based company. But there are loan products out there that allow you to qualify for a mortgage.
0: Right. So, what about those that? aren't commission based. So they're not in real estate, but they run their own business. They may they may give the 1099s out for people that they contract out, but so what are some tips? Do you have any tips for those? So they're basically bringing in the money. They may they may or may not have employees. So maybe they do some W2s, uh, some 1099s. Do you have any tips for those?
1: Right. So you're an overall independent contractor, right? Mm-hmm. You're not getting a uh, you're not getting a W2 from your employee employer. So you're basically an entrepreneur. Um, And then, so what you do is, you know, you go to, you file your taxes and you have to provide taxes. And, and that's what you, you basically show up, show for proof of income. Those are the kind of programs that they have that allow you to qualify for a mortgage. Obviously the problem with the entrepreneur is not so much you know, that we don't have income to show, but it's the fact that we, we expense a ton. <laughs> right.
0: So, and it's not consistent income necessarily. And that's what the lender, there's, it's a risk for them.
1: Right. So sometimes when they look at your schedule, right, like they look at a three-year spectrum of how much income you've made, that's what they're evaluating it on. They're using, you know, the metrics to see, okay, if you're you're sustaining a 200K income per se, or maybe you're sustaining a 60,000 income per se, is just going to determine how much debt you're allowed to carry and how much money the lender is willing to give you based on your income, right, your debt to income ratios. and um, right. So proving income is not that difficult if you're an entrepreneur It's because you're going to show that you've been making that kind of money. But again, if you're, you know, your business brings in 500 a year, but you're expensing everything and you're netting, you know, 150, that's where it becomes when people don't understand the difference, but you can definitely qualify for a mortgage. You can definitely qualify for a loan. It's just the amount that you can qualify the difference.
0: That makes sense. Um, because then they're looking at it, a smaller, income. I mean, like you said, the net income. And then, uh, yeah, so obviously your debt to income ratio is uh, not what they're they're looking for.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, it just may allow you for a lower loan. So Mm -hmm. it's different, right? Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, this has been wonderful, Carla. You've definitely gave a lot of uh, nuggets there, a lot of wisdom. You definitely bleed real estate (laughs) for (laughs) sure. I love, love hearing your passion about real estate. I mean, from the beginning, (laughs) It it was, it was wonderful. So as you know, this podcast is about making money simple and taking control of it. So how would you finish this sentence? Her money matters because.
1: Her money matters because she's got two children and she wants to make sure that at the end of the day, she's able to provide for them, not just financially, but also emotionally. Oh, I love that. Emotionally. Well, this has been
0: beautiful and fantastic. And getting to interview you uh, is, is special just because I've known you for a long time. We won't say how, many, how long ago that was. It's
1: circle. We came from the bars.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's been wonderful, That's Carla. Getting,
1: uh, successful entrepreneurs. I love it. <laughs>
0: Oh, wonderful, Carla. I appreciate you. And I know we'll be talking again soon.
1: And I love you more. Thanks, Jenny, for having me.
0: (laughs) So what did you think about Carla? I know she's my friend and maybe I'm biased, but she is truly just a phenomenal woman in my eyes. Since the day that I met her in college, I knew she was going to be up to big things, as I mentioned before, and she definitely has lived up to, not my expectation, but really what I really saw her, what she was about, right? Basically, we really talked about real estate talk and and her her thoughts on real estate from her experience, from her knowledge, And and I have a couple thoughts that I want to add on uh to what she said. But before that, as usual, I wanna give a quick shout out to one of our new community members. Her name is Barb and Barb, I just want to thank you for just a beautiful compliment, the huge compliment that she shared with us in the group. Uh cause Barb is as uh, she says she's a finance podcast junkie. So she has tried all the podcasts Dave Ramsey, Jill on the Money, Money Guy, Sue Orman, and on, and none, she says, has kept her interest until she found her money matters. When I read that, really, that just uh, touched my heart. So I really, really appreciate that because that means the world to me, Barb. So I can't wait to get to know you uh, and connect with you further in the group. So let's go back to real estate talk. Carla talked about what is a good investment, uh, as far as when you're purchasing a home, how to, you know, how to really pick a good home, whether it's for a home, whether it's for renting those type of things. And really bottom line for me, some things that I feel like you, and this is just me talking, but some things that I feel like you should think about when considering such a huge investment. And let me preface with this with, I am not against real estate by any means. But what I do want you to think about when thinking and considering uh, whether buying a house or whether buying an uh, investment property to rent out, just consider this as a long, definitely a long-term investment because that money, that equity is tied up. Think about it. That equity and the money is going to be tied up in the walls in the house. It's not like you're going to be able to bust open a wall and grab some cash out of there for what you need. So think about in terms of that uh, as far as Investing in real estate, it being a long term investment. Obviously do your homework. Don't do then the reason why I'm passionate about saying this because I fell into the trap or my husband and I fell into the trap of buying a home. Just because of the illusion of being homeowners, not because it was a good decision at that time, but it was more of the illusion of, Hey, this is the dream. This is the, not necessarily the American dream, but that's just what you, people usually say, right? You, you buy a house and it wasn't really a good decision at the moment. So that's why I'm passionate about it. Think about it in terms of it being a long and long term investment. If it's something that you're gonna need, if you're looking into uh, making some money soon, remember that money is gonna be tied up in the walls of your house. And like the start market, like any other investment, there's definitely some risk involved. So just make sure you are tolerable to the risk, make sure that you look at the market trends over the course of years, what it has done, how it's risen, how it's fallen, all of those things, not just schools, not just the location; those things are definitely important. But just those trends, uh, long those trends in the past, that makes definitely a difference. So, I am off my soapbox. Just wanted to share those things with you. I know Carla gave you a lot to think about. So I appreciate Carla uh, for uh, joining us. Uh, and chatting about real estate and sharing her sharing really all her not her knowledge. Now you can check out as she mentioned, she does have a radio show and you can check it out at marketoverdrive.com. She usually has multiple multiple guests. They have a bunch of fun. And it's Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you are in Chicago, of course, uh and you're looking into buying real estate. Definitely look her up uh, and have a chat with her, see if she is a good fit for you. So that is a wrap for today. Thanks, Carla, again, once again for uh, joining me on the show. And thank you who are listening uh, for joining us. Remember it, this from now in November at the time <laughs> the time this is uh, published in iTunes and everyone, everywhere else. Through the end of December, we are having a contest and it's about finding those money wins. What did you do really well with the money and getting creative on how you're going to share? It's going to be, it's a lot of fun. I'm going to join you along for the ride. If you for all the details, go to episode 74 and take a listen uh, to that episode. Join our community at jenhemphill.com forward slash community. Let's have some fun with us. Let's end 2016 with a bang because I know you, no matter where you're at in your financial journey, I know there's definitely some things we can celebrate about. So enough about that. Again, thanks again. We'll catch you next Thursday. And remember for the show notes, I will be sure to share the links of where to find Carla and all the good stuff that we shared today over at jenhempill.com forward slash 75. Alrighty, so that is really it this time. Talk to you next Thursday.